We are in a series that is covering the five sermons in Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's a lot of activity, a lot of ministry, a lot of things happening. And in between activity, Jesus has sermons. And there are five of them. We have, we're, we're, we're in the fourth sermon right now. In Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew 18, Jesus speaks about the community of the kingdom. He is establishing a community called the church. And so we've done, this is our third message. It's our last message on the community of the kingdom. Um, the next time I preach, we'll start on the future of the kingdom, which is Matthew 24 and 25. But this is the last one on the community of the kingdom. It's called the community of the kingdom forgiveness. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? And we will look at these, this passage. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. One translation, 70 times seven. One of the other gospels actually says that. And Many, many, stop keeping track, Peter. That's what that means. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. hundred denarii is the Greek. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Would you please pray with me? Lord, I don't know that there could be a more practical sermon than this sermon. This will not be hard to understand. I don't know that there could be a more difficult sermon to actually live out. And so, Father, I just pray for that you would put a little honey in our mouths of your goodness, of your sweetness, of your kind intention toward us as you put the sword in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. By saying amen, you just agreed with that prayer. 
You just gave, you just gave God permission to just, ah! Um, thank you. The community of the kingdom, forgiveness. Point one, the consequences of unforgiveness. There's two types of consequences to unforgiveness. One is personal, one is communal. Let's talk about the personal consequences first. Number one, personal consequence of, of unforgiveness. You get a roommate from hell. Literally. We've laughed about that because everybody's talked about the roommate from hell, and it's a figurative thing. This is literal. Sorry. This is what Jesus said. When we don't forgive our brother or sister from the hell, so will your heavenly father do to you. What does he do? He turns you over to the torturers. You get somebody with you that's torturing you. Now, the parables are a little difficult. So how this actually, it's not actually God doing it. It's you choosing it. Let me explain as, it, as Paul unpacks this in the letters. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Here's the process. 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Anger is a result of you and I being in the image of God. We, we have, when, when something's inju- unjust, there's something's not fair, something rises up in us that does not rise up in the animals. There's an injustice done. There's something moral that has been broken. And it is, when you're, when you're a regular healed per- human being, there is an anger that rises up at all in justice. Then we come to a place of danger because you can sin in your anger. We're not going to talk about all that, but one of those ways is by not letting, by letting the sun set on your anger. And instead of processing your anger, instead of giving it to God, instead of dealing with it, instead of making it right, you choose to hold on to that anger. You choose as judge to hold on to that anger and keep it overnight. And the Bible says that you have now made an opportunity for the devil. You've made a a room for the devil, a foothold for the devil. These are all different translations. Trust me, the devil moves into that place. Darkness moves in. And now, even though you're Christian, even though you love God, you now have a roommate that talks to you a lot. And it's very hard to, di- to discern it because he disguises himself as an angel of light. He's very good at disguising. You're not going to look over and see a, a, a guy with red tights on and a pitchfork and a tail. And, and he's, he's very, very clever. It just, he just kind of moves in while you're not looking. And all of a sudden, you got, you got your own life and you got this voice. This voice of darkness. Personal consequences. You get a roommate from hell. Secondly, God's favor lifts off of your life. Luke chapter 4, 19. Jesus is in his hometown. He's beginning his ministry. He's defining what he is here to do as Messiah. In verse 18, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, which I always thought for years, I'm like, why, why only the poor? Why, why is this only good news for the poor? And he says, I'm here to open the prison doors and to give sight to the blind eyes. But then he, he ends it with this. 
to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And every Jewish person knows what the favorable year of the Lord is. That's the year of Jubilee. That's the year where everybody gets a new beginning. Every, if you owe a debt, it's, it's, it's washed away. If you have slaves, they go free. Everybody gets a new beginning. Everybody gets a fresh start as if they had never sinned, as if they had never made a mistake, as if they had never gone into debt. And it is a new beginning. And when Christians hear that, they're excited. We all need a new beginning. We all need to be free. We all need to have a, have a, but here's the problem. It's not a good year for the rich. That's the year they have to give up their slaves. That's the year that they have to give property back. Those that are rich, that's not a year they look forward to. That's the year that their net worth goes down because they have to give a new beginning. You don't just get a new beginning. You actually have to give a new beginning in the favorable year of the Lord. So those who are rich or self-righteous in spirit, the gospel doesn't work for them. When we feel like we are more righteous than other people, we oftentimes humanity just automatically does this. There are two types of people in the world. There's good people and there's bad people. I am certainly among the good. And so there's bad people out there. So when an injustice or something horrible happens to us, we put it off to they are bad. I am good. And and so I've got a right to hold on to anger and and frustration and injustice because bad people do bad things. Let me tell you something. The worst thing that somebody has done to you, this is really important that we understand this, you are capable of doing that same thing. There is no such thing as good people. There's only guilty people before a holy God. And apart from the grace of God, anything anybody in the world has done, you are capable of doing. Sorry. We're all poor, if we will admit it. And when we are poor, we all need a new start. We all need that new beginning. And, and, and so it behooves us as those who need a new beginning to give a new beginning. Otherwise, you're not going to enjoy God's favor. Pastor Tom, how does that work? How can I be a child of God, a favored child, and not be walking in his favor? How is that possible? Let me tell you. I'm glad you asked. Has anybody ever been grounded? (laughs) Praise God, two people have been grounded. (laughs) Here's what happens when you get grounded. You're still loved. You're still a child. You're still in the house, but when you're grounded, you lose privileges. <laughs> you did something bad, and so mom and dad say you are grounded for a week. You're not going to drive. You're not going to do whatever thing you like doing. You are here. You're gonna, we're going to keep our eye on you. You are grounded for a week. It doesn't make you any less a child. It just means you're a grounded child. Now, here is the problem with God grounding you. Because of unforgiveness. When parents ground you, they give a period of time. They say you are grounded for a week or for a month, depending on how big the infraction is. Or you're not going to the party Friday night. I mean, they choose the time, but you know up front, this is how much time. Well, God doesn't do that. Here's how long you're grounded for. It's an indefinite period of time. Until you forgive. 
You don't want to forgive? You want to move on to other things? Yeah, I'm not going to forgive that, but God, I'm, I still need your blessing. God's like, nope. No, you, 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 you can live your whole Christian life grounded. God will not give up on this. So here's my goal for the service today, for, for today. That not one of us leaves here grounded today. It, what does it mean for a Christian to be grounded? Here's, here's what it means. You, you no longer can bless other Christians. You no longer can bless the world. You can no longer even be a light in the world. Even though you're a Christian, even though God's forgiven you, you, you can't shine when you're grounded. You, you lose privileges. You lose that freedom of being a light, being a blessing, being who you are f- with freedom. It brings light and encouragement and draws people to Jesus. All, all that's off. So let me just say this. We need you to not be grounded anymore. We, we need to be free. We need to have our privileges. We need to not just be in the kingdom, but to be able to have privilege and access and freedom in the kingdom. So my goal today for every single one of us is that we would leave here knowing that we're not grounded anymore because we have dealt We've dealt with those things that God is asking us to deal with. Okay, so those are the two personal um, consequences. Let me talk, talk about the communal consequences of you not forgiving. Um, number one, I'm part of dividing the church. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Jesus, who said, I will build my church, said that when a kingdom or a household is divided, it can't stand. It has to come to ruin. So a lot of Jesus' strategy of how he builds the church is he doesn't allow his people to divide. He makes them forgive each other. He speaks to them. He builds with forgiveness. And so what happens when we refuse to forgive... We create division. Here's how it works. I get hurt. I get offended. I know the Bible tells me I'm supposed to get with that person and, and try to make it right and talk about it and just me and him or me and her. But, but you know what? That's really hard. And so what we do instead is we're hurting and we're wounded. And so we find somebody else that's also been wounded by that person. And we get together and we talk about how horrible that person is and how wounded we are. And, and then we find another person and preferably we could try to find somebody that's like a, an elder or something, get them in on the wound. And, and pretty soon we've got a movement. And now there's a, there's a division. There's a, there's a division in the church. Or even worse, you find somebody that's innocent. Somebody that just loves God has no wound, no, and you start talking about what's been done to you and how horrible that was, and, and they, they're trying to sympathize. They're, they're your friend. They want your acceptance, and so they, they go ahead and own your wound. And, and now somebody that didn't have a wound has a wound, and listen to what you just did to that person. You at least could go to them and you guys could make it right together. They don't have anybody to go to. 
It's called intercessory bitterness. They're angry at that person, but it's not because it's not against them. It's somebody they love. They've got this thing that can't seem to get right because it's just this floating bitterness. And it divides families. It divides churches. It divides businesses. It divides. And the enemy laughs as he sows offense, sows offense, gets them to own it. Then how do you find those other people that are wounded? Oh, the enemy knows where they are. See, he's got strategies. Jesus said the gates, of hell will not, the gates of hell will not overcome the church I'm building. Well, gates are strategies. Paul says we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. We're not ignorant. There is a devil scheming against us, guys. The enemy is not your neighbor. It's not your wife. It's not your spouse. It's not your boss. The enemy is the devil. There's a real devil. There's real darkness. And if, if we're going to win, if we're going to be part of this thing, we, we've got to be aware of the bigger picture you end up splitting a community and a a local church that had authority, that was supposed to be a light. All of a sudden, it it can't do what it was supposed to do. Here's the scripture, Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, and by it many be defiled. Did you know that your poison unforgiveness is like an infection that that is contagious and that you can actually end up getting other people affected and infected and it's just a it's just a mess. Second communal consequence is you end up devaluing your brothers and sisters and by so doing devaluing yourself. So a few weeks ago, I was preaching, and, uh, and this guy sends me an email, and he said that he had a vision during worship, not during my preaching, during worship, which was before the preaching. He didn't know what I was going to preach on, and he had a vision, and he shared it with me, and I asked him if I could share it with the congregation, and, um, for, but, but to, to, to appreciate what he saw, I have to tell you a little about what I preached that Sunday. I was preaching on James 5. And it was about the farmer is patient, and here's why the farmer's patient. Because the harvest is precious to him. He waits for that valuable, precious harvest. So he's, he's patient. And, and James says, so you two brothers, be patient. Be patient. Don't grumble and complain about each other. Be patient. Join the the heavenly farmer. It is a precious harvest, and he's waiting. And yeah, I know they haven't arrived yet, and I know they've got problems, but wait with God. Wait with God for that precious harvest. So here's the vision that he had. I saw beautiful gems. Many, many beautiful gems. They represented the beauty of God's kingdom. They were all around us. Then I saw the significance of when we complain and grumble. When we do this, we cover and slather our eyes with mud, and we stick our faces in the mud, both of which cause us to have an inability to see the beauty of God's kingdom around us. Now, everything God makes is beautiful. You want to see God's beauty, just walk outside. Walk outside and actually look. Look at clouds. 
Look at the blue sky or today the rainy sky. Look, look at a flower. Look at, look at a mallard. Just, just look at almost anything. It's just like, who is this God that made such beauty? It's amazing. But the gems, and I, I, wrote, I wrote this back to him. I don't, I don't believe the gems are God's physical creation. I believe we're the gems. Here's why I believe it. In Exodus, when God gave the tabernacle and the high priest that was supposed to go in and, and, and intercede and do all these things for the people, the high priest had to wear this breastpiece. And on this breastpiece, God had tw- four rows of three gems apiece. They were, all, they were all different gems. They were jewels. There was an a- emerald and a diamond and a chrysolith and, and turquoise. And there, were, there were all these different gems. And God, before the high priest went in to intercede for the people of God, he was to remember how God feels about them. That God's gems, God's jewels are his people. This is how God feels about his people. So what happens when we get grumbling and complaining, we end up joining a different system. Look at, look at Revelation chapter 12. This is verse 10 and 11. It says that the accuser of our brethren, speaking of Satan, has been cast down, who accuses them day and night before the throne of God. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word, their, the word of their testimony. So there is one that is continually accusing people of what's wrong with them. Day and night, accusing, 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 accusing. When we hear this voice and we take it up, we start grumbling and complaining about one another. We end up with this mud on us. And we start seeing through muddy eyes. Very much like if you, if you put red glasses on, everything is red all of a sudden. When you have those glasses on it, you find out what's wrong with everybody. And here's the justification. Now I speak the truth. It's true. It's true. I, 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 I take pride in, in speaking my mind, and I just, I tell it how I see it, and, and it's the truth. You know what? It is true. But it's not the whole truth. The whole truth is not that they failed and that they sinned. Here's the whole truth. Jesus loves them, and he died on a cross for them. They are precious to him. He does not define them by their sin or by their failure. He defines them by his love, by his redemption, by his creation. That's the whole truth. And when we speak our mind and we find a liberty to just grumble and complain about each other, we end up devaluing the very people that Jesus died for. Somebody gave me this mug. I may not be perfect, but Jesus thinks I'm to die for Here's the insidious thing about this. If there's somebody, and and he didn't just die for Christians. Do we all understand that? There's no one you know that he didn't die for. 
And here's what, here's what happens. When you can't see another human being as God's gem, when you can't look past all that's wrong, all their sin, all their darkness, and say that is a gem of God that Jesus, when you can't do that for one person, here's the result. You can't see yourself as a gem anymore. You can't see yourself as a gem. When your eyes get muddy, it's not just at everybody else. It's at yourself. And if you think you're dirt, you know what happens when you think you're dirt? You start acting like dirt. It's just natural. You become the worst version of yourself. It's still you. It's just the worst version of yourself. When you get those eyes cleaned off and you see that Oh my, they are God's gems. And some, for some of us, it's crazy, but the hardest person for us to believe that's God's gem is ourself. We can actually believe it for everybody else. Minister to other people. They are valued. They are redeemed. And then it's about, oh no, I'm mud. No, I'm a disaster. That's not true. You're God's gem. They're God's gem, and you're God's gem. They're all around us. Whoa. There's gems in here today, guys, everywhere. Whoa, the light's shining off you guys. You guys are beautiful. Wow, amen. Pastor Tom, I don't really think that, you know, Christians are actually participating in darkness. Guys, give me a break. Jesus made Peter the head of the church, and three verses later, he said, get behind me, Satan. The idea that we can think dark thoughts and say dark thoughts and participate in the wrong kingdom, even though we're Christians, guys, that's, that's, that's how it works. God's calling the church to get his eyes. God's calling the church to be able to see past what's wrong and start praying into and speaking into what's right in each other. This is how the church is going to become strong. One sister agrees with me somewhere. <laughs> I heard a single lonely amen. That's, it's all good. It's all good. Point two. Point one is over. Praise God. None of us want the consequences. None of, none of us want to have a roommate from hell. None of us want to be grounded. None of us want to split the church. None of us, none of us want to have mud on our eyes so that we don't see what God's seeing. So what's the issue then? Well, Pastor Tom, how do you do it? How do you forgive? I've been hurt. I'm, I'm in pain. I'm living with pain. I'm reminded of that pain every day. The pain goes on. People that have done bad are still doing bad. And there is so much pain. How, how do you live in this world and forgive? Number one, and I've only got two things here. First, see that the issue is between you and God and not you and the other person. So here's, here's the story that Jesus tells. So, so this guy comes to him, a servant that owes him 10,000 talents. Now, my Bible explains how to think about this. One talent, a talent is an, an amazing amount of money. One talent is equal to 15 years of income for a common laborer. And this is just one of the guys in the kingdom. So 15 years of labor is one talent. Well, this is 10,000 talent. That means 
that what he owes is 150,000 lifetimes, or 150,000 years of service, okay? So we only live 90 to 100 years, so he cannot pay this back. If he worked every day, every, and gave 100% of his income to this guy, he would still be 149,000 years short of income and 900. There's no way he could pay this back. This is a massive, massive debt. It's, it's really hard to even comprehend how big this debt is. So the king, but the king has got mercy in his heart. And when he, he owns the debt, he owns what the consequence should be. He's not in denial. He's not justifying. He's not saying, I don't owe you that. He said, no, I do owe you that. Yes, I do deserve prison. And he says... Uh, when he owns it, and then he begs for mercy, the, the king's heart is moved. And he says, you know what? I'm going to let you off of the entire debt. You can imagine how good that day was when that debt that came off of him. And whoo-hoo. So then we don't know how long uh, time goes past, but a guy owes him 100 denarii. Now, one denarii is a day's wages. So 100 denarii, that's about three months of wages. This is not a small debt. This is thousands of dollars that he is owed. And the guy says the exact same words to him that he said to the king. He says, please forgive me. I'll pay you back when I can, da-da-da-da-da. But he will not. He refuses to forgive. And he has, says, no, you're going to pay me back. And he has him put in prison until he is paid back in full. Well, the king finds out about it, and all of a sudden, it becomes an issue, not between this guy and the guy that owes him money, it has now become an issue between the king and this guy. The king has taken it personal. The king expected him, when he was wronged, to think about, not think about how much he was wronged by other, other people. He was expecting to remember how much mercy he was given from the king, and that he was to show the same mercy that he had received. And so when he is unwilling to do that, the king becomes angry. The king takes it personal. You think you've got an issue between you and your boss. No, you have an issue between you and God. You think you've got an issue with your spouse. No, you've got an issue with God. You think you've got an issue with your brother or your sister or somebody that hurt you or somebody that molested you or somebody, and, and God says, no, your issue is not with me. You're my child. You've received from the fullness of my grace And I am making this between me and you. Stop looking at everybody else. It's hard to do. We were in one church and we had a woman became a very dear friend and she she got saved of a very wounded, difficult past. And, uh, And one day... Um, she stopped coming to church. Didn't think that much about it, but um, it went on for a while. She just wasn't at church, and so I asked Alice to reach out to her, and um, Alice is already praying for her, and um, find out what's, what's the issue. Well, guess what? 
Turns out I was the issue. <laughs> and in an email, she explained to Alice that, uh, that I had met with her and I had called her a bad Christian. <laughs> I was stunned because I just, I love this sister and I'm so much for her. And I'm trying to think, how, did I call her a bad Christian? I, would I say that to somebody? And, and then I'm like, oh, oh my, I know what it is. So she had, she had a lot of wounds with men in the past and the present man. And, and I was saying to her, this is Christianity. This is, this is what you do. That you, that the issue is between you and God. It's not between you and men. You need to, you need to forgive. You need, as Jesus has forgiven you, you need to, to forgive them. And so she interpreted that as, you're, you're a bad Christian. And as I thought about it, I, I see her process. Here, here's her process, okay? She loves Jesus. Jesus isn't the bad guy. Jesus hasn't done anything to hurt her. Men have done something to hurt her. She's mad at men. She's not mad at Jesus. Jesus is, has been good and Jesus is good, but these men have been horrible and I'm angry at those men. So the idea that I've got something between Jesus, do you see where, where this, this goes? This isn't about me and Jesus. Jesus is fine. Me and Jesus are fine. I'm having a problem with men. And so, and the Bible says this, if somebody's got something against you, you need to reach out to them. And so I, I sent her, she doesn't, didn't live near us at that time, and so I emailed her and I, and I just said this, I am so sorry that you are hurting. I'm so sorry that you are wounded. And if I've contributed to that, please forgive me. I, I never heard back. That doesn't mean she hasn't. That doesn't mean she's not a gem. That doesn't mean God's not for. But he, here's, here's what I think happened at the time. I became one more man, man that hurt her. I got lumped in, and now men, men are evil. Men hurt me. I'm angry at men. And now here's another man that has hurt me, and that thing, that thing gets empowered. And I'm not saying she's still grounded because I don't know what's going on. Jesus, it's between her and Jesus, but a lot of people are grounded because they're angry. Have you ever heard this phrase? Whenever I think about that, it makes me angry. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Let me read you a, a sentence I felt like the Lord gave me this morning. Don't look at, what, at them and at what they did to you. Look at me and what I did for you. Don't look at them and at what they did to you. Look at me and what I did for you. The key to forgiveness is to get your eyes off of the person that hurt you and the event that hurt you. And to recognize 
however horrible that injustice was, there's, there's been a bigger injustice. The biggest injustice happened on the cross where God forgave you. How do you get forgiven? Here's how you get forgiven. You own that you've sinned against a holy God and that you deserve to be separated from him. You own that I'm not a good person. I'm a guilty person. I have sinned. Maybe not in the same way as everybody else, but I've sinned in a number of ways. And the Bible says when we find out how many ways we have sinned, we will be stunned. How do you, how do you get 150,000 years into debt? <laughs> well, if you've got a very, very holy God and you're living in this world every single day, you would be surprised at how quickly sin accumulates. And when we own, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I, de- I deserve separation from God. Yes, I deserve the worst. Now we are in a position where we can ask for mercy. And this is where the parable breaks down a little because what God did in his mercy and in his love, he is moved by mercy in his love. But he can't just arbitrarily wipe out sin and wipe out debt. He's too holy for that. So what he did is this. In his love for you and for me, he came down out of heaven He humbled himself to be born and took on a human body and God dwelt right among us on this planet. He further humbled himself by enduring the shame and the scorn of a cross. Probably the most humiliating way to die in all of history. He died naked on a cross because he loved you and me. Why was he on that cross? He paid our debt. He paid our debt. However big your debt is, it got paid. It has been paid. God paid it himself. He came down. He died on this cross for me and you. Did you know this? It says in Hebrews 12 too, that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the shame and the hostility of the cross. Do you know what the joy was? You. His gems. He knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. They didn't kill him. He gave himself to be killed for the joy of what it would be to have you as one of his favorite sons and daughters. So he went and he endured this for you. He endured it for me. He took the shame. He rose from the dead. He shed blood for you and I. And now he says, come on, come on. I love you. You are my joy. This is, I want you to come. And we come to him and we say, God, I love you. Thank you, Jesus, for doing this. Thank you for forgiving me. And then Jesus says, now there, by the way, there's one thing. I need you to forgive everybody else too. I need you to forgive. Don't look at them and what they did to you. Look at me and what I did for you. When you think about how you were wronged and how wrong it was and how unjust it was and you review that thing, it makes you angry again. You want to know how you forgive? You start thinking about what Jesus did. You start thinking about those nails. You start thinking about the ways you have sinned against him and that he's forgiven you. He's given you a new beginning. He's taken away your shame and your guilt and your penalty and it makes you want to forgive. It makes you want to worship him and do whatever he wants you to do. And if it's hard, bring it on. Bring it on, God. Bring it up. Here's why. Because you are worthy. You are worthy. The one that died for me, the one that's loved me like that, the one that is more beautiful than anybody that suffered that injustice, you are so worthy of me doing hard things. And it is hard to forgive. 
but he's worthy of it. How do you forgive? Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem in our nation right now. It's not what they did. It's what they're still doing. We're angry not because of something they did in the past, but something they keep doing. Has anybody noticed our country's angry right now? People are angry. People are angry at, some are angry at the Democrats. Some are angry at Donald Trump. Some are angry at ISIS. Some are angry at the rich and the economic injustices. And some are angry at ISIS. And there's just anger, anger, anger fueled anger. Many are angry at the church and pastors and abusers and manipulators and anger, 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 anger. How, how do you get free from that anger? Instead of thinking about what they're doing, what they're still doing, think about what I did for them. Think about it. And what what it brings you to is to pray for them. To pray. To pray. God loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody. Everybody is not the enemy. They're victims. They're, they're being used by the enemy. They, they, and, and it's not that they're not responsible because they are. But we take up this place of prayer. Pastor Tom, are you t- telling us to hide our heads? To put our head in the sand in this world of injustice and sex trafficking and drug abuse? And are you telling us to just bury our heads and pretend there's no evil and just think it's all about God's love? No, I'm not telling you that at all. I promise you, I'm not telling you that. Here's what I'm saying. Has anybody ever heard this? The only thing it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Has anybody ever heard that before? This is usually used to activate people to do it to a cause, to, to act out against injustice. To, we, evil is driving, and we, it's time for the church to do something. And so rise up and do something. Let me tell you something. Here's when evil triumphs. Either when good people or God's people do nothing, or when God's people do not process their anger with God and start acting back and doing what they do out of anger. It's time to do something. Bad things are happening. Do something. I'm sick of the church being hypocrites and doing nothing. I'm at least doing something. And, but I'll tell you what, if you're angry and you're doing something, you're part of the problem. You actually empowering darkness. When, when we see injustice, when we feel that anger, and not just injustice that has happened in the past, but it's still happening. When we see that, we are called first and foremost to pray. To pray, to give it to God, to give the whole thing to God, that God's the only, and then to obey. God will tell you what your part is. Without that little step, we become a disaster. Well, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to stand against injustice. Really? Okay, which injustice? Which one are you going to stand against? All of them? There's not enough hours in the day. God has got a plan for injustice. 
Most injustices, you're going to pray, and that's all you're going to do is pray. And some, God's going to say, I want you to do this. And when you do that thing, because God told you to do it, mm, mm. for one thing, you got power to keep doing it. Because you're not doing it to right or wrong. You're doing it because God told you to, and God, God said to do this thing. And so, I'm, let me tell you something. When you fight injustice... When you stand against injustice, when you give against injustice, while you give it, while you do your little thing, do you know what the voice in your head says? What it, that you're doing nothing. There's a huge worldwide problem, and you're doing this little thing. This means, let me tell you something. When God told you to do it, it is a seed that can destroy mountains. He, God can move mountains. When you're doing it, not because somebody should do something, not because you're angry, but you processed it with God. And God said, do that. There is a faith in planting that seed. Even though I can't see anything right now, even though it seems small, and the enemy comes and says, that's nothing. It'll mean nothing. You say, no, God told me to do that. God can destroy injustice. God can bring down terrorism. God can stop sex trafficking. God, all of the injustices around us. So here's what happens. Good Christian people get rallied around this idea that we're angry and we're the good people and they're the bad people, so we need to start doing something. And it's nothing less than Boromir taking the ring and saying, we're good, we'll take this ring that's been forged by evil and we're going to use it for good reasons. Guys, it doesn't matter how good your vision is if you use darkness to try to do good you're going to eventually become dark you're going to you're eventually going to be empower darkness and we've done this in this country so who are you mad at that that is still doing it maybe you're mad at white people maybe you're mad at authority maybe you're mad at there's a lot of people mad at Donald Trump a lot of people mad at Democrats. There's, there's a lot of floating anger. Maybe you're mad at men. Maybe you're mad at women. Maybe you're mad at what, whoever you're mad at. It's time, guys. It's time for the church to bring her anger to the cross. It's time for freedom. It's time to say, Jesus, you died. You died for me. It's, it's my pleasure to give you my anger. I lay it down at the cross. Now, God... You speak. You speak. You speak. Here's my last point. First, how to forgive. See that the issue is between you and God, not you and the other person. And secondly, see that God's not calling you to let justice go, but to turn it over to him. Here's Peter. Lord, should we forgive people seven times? Here's what he's saying. In that day, in that culture, the Pharisees had a rule that you had to forgive somebody three times. And Peter's like, well, we're certainly better than the Pharisees. Lord, how about seven? And, and Jesus just shakes his head. Peter, listen, listen, buddy. Seven, seven times 70. Stop it. Stop it. What's, it. what's Peter doing? He's keeping the control of judgment to himself. Okay, I got hurt. Mm, that's one. Got hurt again. Two. 
three. He, he wants the right to count. He wants to, he wants to hold judgment in himself. He wants to decide what an, what an infraction is and when he can start bringing justice. And Jesus said, that day is never coming to you, Peter. You, this is, your day is not coming, church. You need to give justice to me. But it's not letting go of justice. It's turning it over to God. Listen to, listen to Hebrews, or um, Romans 12. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is one that is the judge, and it's the one that died for the human race. The lamb who was slain is the only one that can break the seals of judgment over any human life. He has died for that. And so we don't let justice go as if it's not important. We turn it over to the judge. And then, here's an amazing thing. We start praying. We start praying for our enemies. We don't want them to get justice. They're God's gems. We want them to get mercy. So we pray for them. And then here's what happens. God They've been dealing with you and they've been responding to you and now when you refuse to respond to them because you just love them and forgive them, that's very frustrating to them. So they have to deal with God and God starts sending conviction. It is like burning coals on their head. This is not judgment. This is God speaking to them to bring them to repentance so that they can own their sin. They can own what they did against you and against humanity and they can repent and get mercy, the mercy Jesus died for. That is overcoming evil with good. So we pray for our enemies. This is a way it, we can reverse the strategy of hell. When somebody is your enemy, when somebody backstabs you, when somebody hurts you, when somebody commits an injustice, put them on your prayer list. Praise be to God. I'm going to start praying for them. I'm going to start praying for them. And your heart gets free and the gospel and this redemption and the worst of sinners can get saved, folks. So here's what happened. David is, uh, has honored Saul, even though Saul was demonic and attacking him, and he's with his men in the wilderness, and he is, they're, they're staying at a place where there's a, a farmer named Nabal, and Nabal has got all of these sheep out there, and David's men are there, but they don't steal one, and they actually serve as a protection, and, and they're there for a while, and so David sends Nabal a little letter and says, hey, a holiday's coming up. We've been hanging out here. We haven't stolen from you. In fact, we've protected your sheep. Um, could you make a meal for us so that we could celebrate too? And, and Nabal writes him a note back and says, No. You, you, you're disobeying your master. I'm not going to be any part of you and your thing. And David, David, he's just, he, he goes crazy. He's just angry. And he's going to take matters into his own. He says, he says, I'm making a vow right now. Before the sun sets, Nabal's going to die. Every man in this household's going to die. I am so sick of forgiving. I am so sick of trusting. I'm going to take matter. And Abigail, Nabal's wife, comes out. She brings this huge gift. And she says, please, my Lord, please 
Don't bring this on yourself in your kingdom. To this point, you have trusted God and you've let God defend you. Don't do what is in your heart. And David's like, you just saved me and saved this household from something horrible. And he, for, and, and, and he forgave and, and his kingdom was blessed because of it. So the year is 2008. Another church has been started off of Mad City Church. It started out of a wound, and all this bad stuff is happening. And, um, and, 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 and one, of the, one of the leaders is a friend of mine. Well, they were all friends of mine, but one of them has no wound. He's, he, he's, he's not wounded. He's not making a statement, and he's planning on going and doing this. And I go to him personally. I say, bro, listen. This is reckless. This is wrong. This, no good is going to come to this. Please don't be part of it. He says, yeah. He says, I, I, you know what? I, I, this is just who I am, and it's not personal, but I, I, I want to do this. And, and so they, he did it, and, and, and it was bad. It was bad. It was bad for me. It was painful. Our church kept going down, and their church kept going up, and and. It was, it was pain for me. It was pain for my family. We had moved there, and it, it put us at risk. And then it, it was hurting our whole staff because we were going to have to lay people off because of what they did. And, and it was, I was just filled with anger. And so I was so excited because he was coming back in. He was going to give us a report on the new church to tell us how great it was. And he was coming, and, and that meeting was coming up. And I, was, I had just purpose in my heart. I'm going to tell him how I feel. I'm going to tell him how I feel about what he did. I'm going, to, I'm going to let him know the pain that I am in and the pain that he's put us in. And he doesn't even know it right now, but I'm going to tell him. I'm going to let him know. He's going to feel what I feel. And I'm really excited about this meeting, except that right before that meeting, I had a meeting with my accountability partner. And usually that accountability was he would tell me what he did wrong and I would try to help him process. But this day, he starts off by saying, how are you doing? And I just pour it all up. This is, this is the meeting that's coming and this is what I'm going to do. And, and I'm expecting him to see the justice in it. And he says, Tom, he just starts shaking and said, don't do anything that you're talking about doing. This is, this is not of God. You need to forgive him for anything you think he's even done. You need to let go of it. That's between him and God now. Look at Mark eleven twenty five. When you stand praying, forgive so that your father can forgive you. Did you notice nobody has to be sorry for you to forgive? Nobody has to say, I did wrong for you to forgive. Nobody has to start doing the right thing for you to forgive. Do you know why I wanted to have that meeting? It had nothing to do with me winning my brother. It was, it was for my sake. I wanted him to know that I was in pain. What would, what really, what would have happened if, if that meeting had happened and I didn't get saved? And I told this guy right away, the Holy Spirit was there. It, I said, dude, you are Abigail. You just saved me. You just, I couldn't see it. I was blinded by my own pain. And I was about to do something that would have affected that friendship forever. We're still friends today. That meeting never happened. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus loves us. 
If you've got to have somebody to be sorry before you can forgive them, let me ask you this question. How sorry do they have to be? And how will you know if it's real? And let's say they are really sorry and you believe it's genuine. Okay, well, what are you going to do to make it better? It's not enough to be sorry. Well, how are you going to... Do you see that you're, you're, you're the judge? Do you see that you're the one that's going to decide when they deserve forgiveness? And you know when it's going to be? Never. They will never prove to you that they are worthy of your forgiveness. Stop it. You're not judge and you're not savior. Forgive them. Let God be your defense. Let God be the judge. And get this anger off of you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, every head bowed, every eye closed. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. He's that good. Here's, the, here's very quickly, because we're, we're out of time. First call is this. You are here today, and you are willing to own your own sins against God, and that if you got what you deserved, you would be separated from God. And you're, you're willing to own that. Yeah, I'm not one of the good people. I'm one of the guilty people, and I, I deserve separation from God. You can own that. That's not enough to get saved. Here's what you also have to own. But God, you love me? Jesus, you came to this earth. You died on a cross. You rose from the dead. I am your joy. I am your gem, and you want to forgive me. And Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. Just because he's knocking doesn't mean you've opened, but he's knocking today. And you're willing to own, oh my, God loves me. God loves me. I've seen just mud on myself. God loves me and he's knocking. And you want to open the door with every head bowed and every eye closed because it's between you and God. I do like to help people pray and open their door because somebody helped me open my door. If that is you, Jesus is knocking. You want to open the door today and you want, you want to be forgiven and be saved. Would you just raise your hand real high long enough for me to see it? I see that hand in the back and that hand and that hand, that hand and that hand. Got you, buddy. And those two hands back there, God bless you. I'm up in the balcony now. Yeah, I see that hand in the corner there. I see the two hands back there. God bless you. If everybody that raised their hand, whether I saw it or not, if you, if you had your hand up, would you just put it over your heart right now and pray something like this? Jesus, I'm coming to you as a sinner that's guilty. I deserve, if I got justice, I would be separated from you for, forever. But Lord, I own that you love me. I own that you came to this earth to die for me. I own that you are knocking by your spirit. You are knocking on my life. And Lord, right now, by faith, I'm not good at this, Lord, but by faith right now, I'm opening my heart. I'm opening my door and saying, Jesus, come in. Save me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Wash the mud from my eyes, Lord, and make me one of your jewels. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Then could we stand to our feet? Here's the second call. You either, one, know that you're grounded. You have been grounded. You've been grounded for a while. And you don't want to be grounded anymore. Or two, you're not sure if you've been grounded, but you think you maybe you are. 
And today, you want to get free. You want to get free from specific anger and general anger and give it to God and get in a place where the favor of God is just washing over you and through you and you can become everything you want. So we call this the receive position. You just close your eyes, open your hands. If that's you, just do this. Do this right now. I'm going to pray. Jesus is so big, we don't even have to do one-on-one prayer. God can just do this through one huge prayer. Lord, we, we are your church. We are your people. And today, God, we're here to do business with heaven. You see everything that has made us hurt and angry and self-righteous. And today, in an act of worship, we bring, we bring it to you, Jesus, and say, Lord, for your sake, I forgive them. For your sake, I forgive them. And for your sake, I turn them over to you, Jesus. I'm, I'm not just letting go of what was wrong. I'm turning it over. It's between you and them now. Lord, I, but I love you. So I don't just forgive them. I pray for them. I pray they don't get the justice they deserve. I pray that you would send burning coals upon their head that there might be repentance that they might get in a place of mercy. Jesus, you died for them. So Jesus, please, even as I give them to you, I pray for them. I pray that they would get mercy instead of justice, that they would come to that place of repentance and get right with you. Now, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Jesus, would you release full favor and full privileges again? Could we go out of these doors absolutely free to be a blessing, to be a blessing to the body of Christ, to be a blessing to the unsaved, to be bright, shining lights wherever we go? And people say, what happened to you? Oh, I was at church. Oh, it was good. We at church today. Jesus is good. Jesus is a great Savior, and I'm unashamed of him because of all that he has done for me in his generosity. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Woo! Go, God! We're going to have ministry teams up here if you want to hang out and worship and get prayer. You're free to do that. Otherwise, have a great week. Bless you.